0: Good morning. Can everybody hear me? All right. Good morning. All right. My name is Brian Chapman. Uh, I'll be with you this morning. I uh, I serve as an elder here at Glen Ellyn Bible Church. I recently rejoined the elder board. Uh, I have served one prior term on the elder board, and uh, because of the dislocation of the last year, there's this thing. I know you probably may, some of you may not be aware of it. There's this thing called COVID that kind of like caused church to uh, kind of get disrupted over the last year and a half. I know a lot of you, but there's a lot of you I, I may not know or have met only briefly. So I'll give you a little bit about myself uh, just briefly here. Uh, my wife Jill and I have been at Glen Ellen Bible Church for a solid 10 years. Uh, we have three boys. Bennett's going into fifth grade. Sam's going into second grade. George is four. And most importantly, we have a black lab named Moose He's two, he's the most loved member of the family. Uh, he listens. Uh, Jill and I, Jill, at least he's the only one who listens to me. Uh, anyways, Jill and I have, have loved our time here at GBC. We kind of, you know, spent time in nursery two and fours. The boys were getting older, and like I said, I've had a chance to serve as an elder. I preached a few times, and it's always a blessing to me for, from a preparation standpoint, and you all uh, get to endure it, so thank you. Uh, served as an elder, and I've served as an usher a couple times. They allowed me to, and then uh, I think Dave, you and I are doing Sunday school for second and third grade this summer, or this fall. So anyways, plugging into GBC is easy. Uh, We did it almost immediately, and I hope if Glen Ellyn Bible Church is your home, you found a way to get plugged in as well. And this community has been a blessing to us in more ways than we can even imagine. With that said, we're in Colossians. And if you've been with us this summer, we've been going through Colossians. John Vanderveld finished uh, Colossians chapter 2 last week. So this morning, we're going to look at the first part of Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. It will be on the screen. Colossians 3, 1 through 4. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. This is the word of the Lord. Before we dig into the passage, I want to give you a personal anecdote just to kind of give you the mindset of where I'd like to go this morning. About two weeks ago, um, my family and I, Jill and the boys, got back, Moose too, he came with us, uh, came back from a trip out west. We spent two weeks out in Wyoming, uh, Badlands of South Dakota, Custer State Park, hiking, doing a lot of fishing, lost a lot of spinners, doing a little camping, and really exploring and enjoying uh, nature. We've done this trip before, and while I was out there, it occurred to me I've never verbalized this to Jill, but I I think one of the reasons I'm drawn to nature, and particularly the the West, and the reason I want, one of the reasons I want my my kids to experience it is, uh, it gives us an opportunity, or at least me and maybe you too, to uh, experience something real, something authentic. Nature uh, untouched as it was meant to be. It reminds us that there's something bigger uh, than ourselves we get to unplug, right? And I think one of the reasons it's, it's, it's I'm mindful of this, and maybe you are too, is that you know, we live in a, a suburban community with all of the Roosevelt Roads and Butterfield Roads around us and whatnot. But beyond just all of the buildup, you know, so much of our world today is virtual, right? I mean, in fact, it's the virtual aspect of life has sped up rapidly in the last 18 months. And I think the desire to experience something real, something authentic uh, in me comes in part from that. And if we add to this idea of a virtual world we experience so much of the time, add to it what I call sort of our culture of material enrichment. And what I mean by that is we live in a culture for ourselves and for our kids that is designed to enrich every aspect of their lives, right? We enrichment academically, enrichment athletically, right? We don't just just do sports, we have to train in the off season for youth sports. Enrichment even from an amusement standpoint, right? Like when I was growing up, we had TGIF on ABC on Friday nights. Now, we have prestige television, right? We have premium television, shows we binge watch, right? Now, let me be very clear, I am grateful for a lot of the enrichment opportunities we have around us so for example we have excellent educational opportunities for our kids and i'm grateful for that and i'm also very grateful for a robust extracurricular environment whether it's athletics or the arts but but if we're not careful like with so many other things we can really start to think that your third graders reading level is actually in elementary schools actually pointing to something real about this universal thing called life, right? Or whether or not my kid makes this travel team is really significant and is going to tell me something about what really matters. Or this new gaming system even, right? Gaming systems, holy cow. Uh, the level of complexity and commitment that exists to these things is, is uh, quite something. If we aren't careful, we can almost convince ourselves that these things that aren't necessarily bad, we can convince ourselves, though, that they point to some kind of ultimate reality or a matter of the first order. If you've been at Glen Ellyn Bible Church for any amount of time, you know Kelly, our senior pastor who's, who's away on sabbatical, he oftentimes talks about and cautions against the trappings of suburban life and how, uh, how some of these things, me included, that we, me included, spend our time on, thinking about, spending our money on, these things that may not be bad, they can actually rob us, if we're not careful, of some, a reality so much better than our material pursuits. So with that said, we went to Wyoming to experience what is real. And to me, just like the West does for me, our passage today points to and is centered around some of the greatest universal realities of the Christian life. Now, if you've grown up in the church, or you've done a number of, maybe you haven't, but you've done some New Testament Bible studies, and you've uh, enjoyed reading Paul's letters, or, or the gospels, you might look at this passage, one through four, it's still on the screen, and you might say, the pull quote here, the takeaway, is that I need to set my heart on things above, or I need to set my mind on things above, and that's true. But I would submit to you today, that before we, pe- before we spend time thinking about that, which we will, I wanna encourage you today to join me in recognizing some ultimate realities that are found in this passage. Recognizing them, embracing them, and allowing those realities to embrace us. Because I would submit to you today that then and only then, once we understand what's real, then and only then can we have the proper mindset Necessary to put our hearts and minds on things above you say, okay, great. So what are these? Realities, let's look at the passage verse 3 Reality number one You have died You have died verse 1 reality number 2 You as a believer in Christ have been raised with Christ So you have died you know what that means? The worst is behind us. The worst thing that can ever happen to you is behind you. You've been raised with Christ. A future resurrection with Christ awaits us. And you know, this is in a lot of ways a perfect summation of our true status as believers. Just as Christ died and was raised from the dead, A new age has dawned. As Dallas Willard says, I I love this phrase, he said, you know, with the resurrection of Christ, the divine cleanup of the world began. But the old age is still being wound up, and until we die, or until the Lord returns, we live in this state of the already and the not yet. The already, Christ has died, Christ has been raised from the dead, he is reigning, not yet. We have not seen him in full glory, and we will. I want to say again, one of the most important realities, you want to talk about what's true, what's real in life? What's real for you today, if you are a believer in Christ, is that you have passed from death to life. And that's not just found here in Colossians, that's 1 John 3.14. And this is a reality that is worth spending a little bit of time thinking about this morning. So by way of example, some of us have suffered, let's just take the last 18 months, some of us have suffered deep and significantly, in deep and significant ways over the last 18 months throughout the pandemic. Some of you uh, have either been sick or known friends and family who've been very sick. Some of you perhaps have even lost a loved one or a dear friend. And that's to say nothing about the dislocation from work, care for children, uncertainty about the future. This is all very real suffering that we can all relate to and is oftentimes in the front of our minds these days. But if you take that suffering, and and understand me well, I don't seek to minimize that in any way, shape, or form, nor do I seek to minimize any other suffering you've experienced in the past or will experience in the future. But if you believe that your death is behind you, then any amount of suffering you may experience, that I may experience or will experience in this momentary life, pales in comparison to our death that is already behind us. And what death is that? That is the death on the cross of Jesus Christ, the death we deserved, which included total separation from God because we are sinners who fall short of his glory. Christ paid for that on the cross, and as a result, the worst thing that could ever happen to me and you as believers in Christ has already happened. And nothing else that happens in this brief momentary life will ever amount to that. Now, that may sound like something we've heard a lot or we know, but if we really embrace that reality, that that's a remarkable thing. And I was thinking, too, about what, what's a good way of illustrating what life might look like, what would my life look like if I actually embraced it? I may know it up here. But do I live like that? Do you live like that? I was thinking about examples of, of something that might point to what it would look like. And the closest thing I could come up with was a family story. Uh, a little while back, one of our boys got in, whose name rhymes with Sam, uh, got, he was doing something he wasn't supposed to. It was like during a weekday... He's climbing on kitchen counters or something like that and ends up breaking a, like a light fixture or whatever. Now, let me just stop right there and say, I don't know what kind of household you grew up in, but in the household I grew up in, the only thing worse than having to deal with dad when, when you were in trouble is waiting for dad to get home <laughs> because you're like, oh no, I'm gonna tell your dad. So I was at work, I get home and Jill's like, hey, you know, Sam's, Sam's in his room. You might want to talk to him. Go take a look in the kitchen. You know, I look in there. <laughs> so I go back there and I talk to him. He's on his bed. He, he's got. He's ready for his last rites to be read to him. He's got a list of his, kind of his last dinner he'd enjoy. And so we sat down and we talked about it, and we kind of talked about what, you know, listening and all that good stuff that you do with young kids. And slowly, you could see this look on Sam's face. <laughs> he realized that there was a, about a better than 80% chance he was going to see the sunrise tomorrow. <laughs> and slowly, he even realized, wait a minute, I actually think this evening might actually turn out OK, too. So Jill commented later on, after we dealt with it and talked about it with him, you know, he's running around the house later that evening, and Jill said, man, that kid's got a new lease on life. <laughs> And as silly as that story is, and maybe some of you can relate to that as a parent or as a kid growing up, but Sam had a lightness about him. Like the worst thing that could have happened to him already happened. Dad got home, and he survived it. (laughs) And so I do think that that the lightness that Sam and, and sometimes children demonstrate is illustrative for us and can be informative. You know, the ice cream had never tasted better. He'd never been happier to play Legos with his four-year-old brother, which he never otherwise wants to do. He appreciated everything around it because he understood that what could have happened, as opposed to what actually happened, was remarkably different. Do we embrace the idea that the worst thing that could ever happen to us has already happened? Sam Sam was playing with house money the rest of the night. Do we, do we operate like that? Do we live in light of that? Do we treat others in light of that? And as mind-boggling and life-shaping as that reality should be for us. Here's something equally incredible. Just as we said, no matter how much suffering you have experienced or may experience in the future, how none of that equates to the death that took place on the cross, no amount, some of us, let's be honest, some of us are having a pretty good run right? There's been an immense amount of blessings in our lives. And some of us will continue to be blessed in any number of ways in the future. But just as no amount of suffering can equate to what happened on on the cross, no amount of money you make, no matter how many beautiful grandchildren you have, no matter how many boards you sit on or how wonderful your spouse is, no matter how perfect your last vacation was, None of it will even compare to life with Christ when he appears in glory. Because then you too will appear in glory. Your worst is behind you and your best is yet to come. Do you believe those two realities? Do you actually embrace them? And I would submit to you uh, that as one theologian put it, getting a hold of these two realities and actually embracing them, it's not optional. It's not optimal or ideal. As one theologian put it, he said, it's actually essential for survival as a Christian and your ministry to others. It is essential that you embrace these two realities. My worst is behind me and my best is yet to come. Here's why. One commentator suggested, and I think he's right, if you don't believe that the worst that could ever happen to you has already happened, and that the best is yet to come as a believer in Christ, regardless of anything else that happens. No amount of suffering, no amount of pleasure or, gl- or, or material glory or success could ever compare to what's coming. Nothing in this momentary life can be as bad as what's already happened or as good as what's coming. If you don't believe that and don't embrace it, one of two things is likely to happen you're likely to become either a legalist or an unbeliever. You're likely to become a legalist because someone who doesn't believe the worst is actually behind them is always trying to earn. And check boxes, they're trying to earn what was graciously and freely given on the cross on Good Friday. On the other hand, you may become an unbeliever because an unbeliever... Because someone who doesn't believe that the God of the universe could actually have something better than the world as we know it, understandably, would be confused by the complexity, pain, and suffering of this world. These two great realities, in fact, kind of bracket or hold up all of the pain and suffering. And uncertainty and frustration of this world. Because here's the deal, without these two truths in your life, in my life, the worst is behind me and the best is yet to come, which is what our passage tells us today. If I don't have these two truths, my religion, my religious rituals will at times be overwhelmed by the pain and suffering in this life. My morality will at times be overwhelmed by the pain and suffering. By morality, I mean my desire to be a good person, my desire to simply, to simply do nice things for other people and hope it, uh, maybe it comes back on me, or my desire to simply leave the world a better place. But here's the difference. The gospel will not be overwhelmed because the gospel accounts for this moment we live in. It accounts for the suffering. It understands the condition we find ourselves in. And it knows that the only true solution is the return of Christ in all his glory. Your religion will be overwhelmed. Your rituals will be overwhelmed. Your desire for a moral life will be overwhelmed by the pain and suffering of this life. But these two realities, which is essentially the gospel, will not be. So what about this little space in between the already and the not yet, where we live, where we find ourselves today. Well, verse 3 here is clear. Verse 3 tells us that our lives are, for now, hidden with Christ and God. So between these two moments, the already and the not yet, our true lives, our true selves, are hidden. That means our death with Christ is also hidden, just as our Future resurrection and glory is also hidden. Here's another way to think about our Christian life being hidden with Christ and God. As we see in verse 4, Christians hope not only for the returning, for the coming of the Lord, but in the coming of the Lord, we hope for the full revelation of what we already are, right? We hope for the full revelation of what we already are, our true selves ourselves, only as God intended us to be. When Christ is no longer hidden, then we will be able to see all sorts of things we were never able to see. What was hidden will no longer be hidden. You may say to yourself, well, okay, but what does that that look like? Think about Paul, for example, right? Paul is the author of this letter, What did the Romans think of Paul? He's an eccentric Jew who's in prison, right? That's what they saw. What did the Jews see of Paul? Well, Paul, to the Jews, was a worse-than-Gentile traitor. But when Paul's life with Christ is no longer hidden and he appears in glory, Paul will be seen for what he truly is, the apostle Servant of the king and it will be on display for all to see What we can't see Is more glorious than everything we can see is another way of thinking about it What we can't see is more glorious than everything we can see think about that next time you're in Colorado or if you're a beach person I'm not a beach person the beach (laughs) Whatever strikes you as true and beautiful and good, just keep in mind, what we can't see is more glorious than everything we can see. And we've all seen beauty in our lives, right? How amazing is that? So while our lives are currently hidden, this hiddenness will come to an end. And if you're here this morning exploring Christianity, or you have questions, first of all, I'm extremely glad you're here. Do not misunderstand what I mean when I talk about hiddenness. While scripture says our lives in Christ are presently hidden, Jesus is here now. And he is reigning over the world right now. Death has already been defeated, make no mistake. But the presence and power of Jesus Christ is hidden right now compared to what it will be like when he is revealed in full glory. Now the fact that our life in Christ is hidden does not mean that we don't seek to be image bearers. By no means. We are to be image bearers of the new heavens and the new earth. By all means, go and make disciples. This life counts. But let me ask you this morning, wouldn't it be, Wouldn't it be disappointing a little bit if if our ultimate experience with holiness or sanctification or godliness were somehow limited to this life? I mean, if you do any kind of internal assessment and you think, if this is sanctification, you know, yikes, or godliness or the march, the, the process of holiness. We're sinners in need of God's grace every day. We need to hear the gospel every single day in our lives. Well, according to verse 4 this morning, this isn't our best, and it never will be as believers in Christ. Verse 4 tells us that because you have been raised with Christ, not only will Jesus appear in glory, but you too will appear in glory. In other words, This is not your true life, right? There's a a great example where somebody brings in like a piece of rope that's like six miles long and there's a piece of red tape on the end of the rope and it's like, this is eternity. The little red tape on the six mile rope. This is life on earth. (laughs) This is not, this is not it folks. This is not your true life. I thought about doing that, but it sounded complicated. This is not your true life. This is not your true self. Do you believe that today? You are not today as you were intended to be. One way of characterizing God's purpose in Christ, as N.T. Wright says, is to produce truly human beings. I think it was C.S. Lewis who noted that in heaven, when we have appeared in glory, we will be ourselves with our bodies only more so. Matthew 13, we will shine like the sun when we appear with Christ in glory. Our true life, when it's no longer hidden, will be so incredible, will be so incredible that as one theologian remarked, we will be forced to say that this life in this world was hardly life at all compared to the life that was hidden for us in Christ Okay, so part of embracing the realities that your death is behind you, your best is yet to come, and in the meantime, while your life with Christ is hidden, but it won't be for long, part of embracing that requires us to have a mindset, a focus that conforms to these realities. In light of what is real, and friends, let me tell you today, what's real is that your death is behind you, And your best is yet to come if you trust in Christ. In light of what is real, we are then to set our hearts and minds on things that are above and not on things that are on earth. But do you understand the order there? It's like, let's first understand what's real. And then all of a sudden, the idea of setting our hearts and minds on things above actually becomes not just doable, but but rational. But what does it mean then to Set our hearts and minds on things above. Well, we can look at two places. Uh, Colossians 3.12 and Philippians 4.8. In Paul's letter to the Philippians, and this should be on the, on the screen here, he lays out these things that are above or these heavenly things in a fairly helpful way. He says, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Colossians 3.12 is even more concrete. Clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. These attributes should shape our attitudes, our responses, our preferences, and our choices, even in things as, as seemingly trivial as entertainment and leisure. I guess the question I'd ask you today is, I ask myself, is do these attributes characterize my attitudes, responses, preferences, and choices? Do they characterize yours? Well, let me think about this. What do I think about during the week? What do I I spend my time actually kind of living with? Well, what do I think about? I think about the kids, think about my family, think about work, am I getting enough credit? Am I getting too much blame? Think about my hobbies. When can I go do that again? When can I get away with that? All right, can I do it sooner than when I probably am? Think about my social life. Am I getting the right invites? Am I getting any invites? I think about finances, right? You think about your, you know, think about, do I have enough money? Always no. Do I have more money than other people? I don't know. Think about issues going on in the day. Do my friends have the right views on COVID? How about this one? Do my schools have the right view on COVID? You see, thinking about these things isn't necessarily a problem. But if you're at all like me, you know what the problem is. It's that we too often don't have a mindset that when we think about these things, that is based on things that are above I ask myself, does compassion, kindness, humility, and gentleness define my attitude and responses to some of those topics that come up day in, day out, week in, week out? Do they define yours? Let me suggest this morning that if we embrace the realities that God has made clear in this passage that our death is behind us and our future resurrection and glory is in front of us, then these attributes, Paul describes, become much more accessible because they are a natural outflow of understanding some of the greatest universal realities ever. Let me close this morning with this. We, we gather here each Sunday because we believe that the birth, life, death, and resurrection of Jesus was the most important event in human history. And because of the resurrection, life eternal with our creator has been made available to us. So earlier this spring, I noted it when Tim Keller made the following, He makes, uh, the former pastor of Redeemer Presbyterian in New York, made the following brief comment on social media. If the resurrection is true, then everything's going to be all right. If the resurrection is true, then everything's going to be all right. It occurred to me this week that that's basically my entire sermon in one sentence. <laughs> that's why he's him and I'm me. <laughs> Friends, COVID won't win. Taxes won't win. Racism, sickness, disease, and injustice will not win. In fact, death won't win because it's already been defeated. Everything is going to be all right because Jesus rose from the dead, which means that our deaths are behind us and the very best in resurrection is yet to come. Will you pray with me? Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that it is trustworthy and reliable. Thank you for Glen Ellen Bible Church and the ministry of this church to those in attendance today, both here and online and to its community. Lord, I would pray that for those who are with us today and have not yet made a commitment Uh, to you as Lord and Savior, and that their death may be behind them as well. I pray that you would open their heart to your call on their life. Thank you again, Lord, for uh, sending your Son to pay the price that we should pay. Thank you for making life eternal with you, available to us freely and graciously. You are a good Father. We ask this in your name. Amen.